Um, this has been an action-packed week. We have lots of things kind of wrapping up in, the, in our own lives at home, but also in the life of the church. And on Thursday night, a group of us got together at Danny's uh, Jazz Club downtown, Boxley's, to do a carol sing. It was also uh, live-streamed online. And so, I don't know, there's, there's probably 20, 25 of us there, uh, another half dozen or more people online, and, and we, just, we just shout out numbers. And I'm always shocked because we have... Um, you know, we have the words, little packets, you know, page seven, jingle bells. And uh, Danny always just plays, like, without music. Like 30 songs. I still don't understand how you do that, Danny. But um, very, very fun to do. Lacey uh, was our lead vocalist, and uh, that was just very cool. So thanks for doing that, Danny and Lacey. And actually, Tomas was there running the, the live stream. That was really special. Well, uh, most of us are reading along with our Advent emails, and each one, each day kind of starts off with a different, like, Advent is in a descriptor, and, and I've, I've come, that's, that started to be kind of my favorite part of the email. I'm, I know that I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to say it's all those weird Old Testament passages, but it's actually the start of the emails, and this week's, my favorite was this, if I can find it here in my notes, Advent is... Where did it go? There it is. Advent. You wake to the smell of coffee and cook breakfast. Someone is singing in the kitchen. I thought that was great. It's the sense of anticipation, of hope. You know, not just for that day, but, but for the days ahead. And so that's what we celebrate here in Advent. And as I've been kind of reiterating throughout this season is... Uh, we always think that Advent is the warm, fuzzy, you know, Bible verses about Jesus' birth. It's not. That starts on Christmas. Advent is this long buildup of rather obscure Old Testament passages that are talking about the coming of Christ. And it's hard to get your brain around how many weeks or how many Old Testament passages, how um, much prophecy there, there is in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah until you think about how long Advent is. And I, it, it occurred to me this week, like, how did they decide to make Advent four weeks long? Christmas, the actual Christmas season is only 12 days long. So it's like twice, twice as long. That doesn't make sense to me. Especially my American, like, let's get it done, let's celebrate it now sensibility. But it's twice as long. And so I, I don't know how, who decided that, right? And I have to imagine that at some point there's this, you know, dark, there's this room, you know, it's dark in this room, there's people together and they're deciding how to, you know, structure this. And they just start whiteboarding all of the Old Testament scriptures. And somebody's like, oh yeah, this is going to take longer than a week. There are so many of them, four weeks worth of prophecy talking about the coming of the Messiah. It's actually pretty incredible. Um, and so this week, it's, it's just this long, long buildup. And that actually is very kind of indicative of our life, isn't it? Like, we spend our days basically just grinding it out, hoping that there's going to be a payoff someday. That's Advent. The payoff is Christmas. When we celebrate God becoming flesh, we celebrate Jesus coming uh, to us to, to live and dwell and be in our midst. And so this year, take a moment to savor this buildup. Take a moment to slow down and draw near to God, to, to, 
to think and dream and hope for what he is doing, for what he did do and what he will do in Jesus. That's what we want to do as followers of Christ. And so uh, this week I was a little dismayed. Uh, I saw, I, I was looking in the news and I actually took an intentional hiatus from my news feed last spring and that was like the best that changed my life because it was really starting to ruin my soul. And so I took this really long hiatus and, and lately I've caught myself like I'm kind of getting back into the habit, which I don't know if that's good or bad yet. But one of the things I saw on my newsfeed was the news about how many U.S. cities, like 12 major metropolitan areas, are experiencing all-time highs in what? Homicides. Murders. Great way to start a message, huh? But that was depressing. And there's all sorts of reasons behind that, from fewer police to uh, more restrictions on what police can do, there's fewer arrests, there's all these pandemic-related things. I mean, there's just so much. And you think about all of the pent-up anger and frustration that we all experience and multiply that across a society, and you see where we find ourselves right now. Ken Barker writes this. He says, sometimes life seems almost unbearable and completely hopeless. When we survey the current societal scene, we see crime out of control, families breaking up and pulling down the individual members of the family with them, and confusion and frustration on every side. And I thought, wow, that pretty much sums it up. But you may be surprised to learn that Ken wrote that in 1999. 1999. He could have written it yesterday. And uh, it was in an introduction as I was kind of prepping for this message about uh, the prophet Zephaniah. And he went on to say, Zephaniah lived in 600 B.C. He has this Old Testament book. I'm going to preach a message from it today, which is probably the first time I've ever referenced, maybe even read Zephaniah. I'm just kidding. Um, But no, it's like, what? Where? And Ken Barker continues. He says, out of the darkness of our lives comes the dawn of God's love and care. Zephaniah promised that God had not finished with his people. When life seemed the toughest, God promised to provide. And that promise is as much for God's people then as it is for us today. And so I want to read to you from the little-known book of Zephaniah. It's just three chapters long. It's filled with much doom and gloom because God's not happy with his people. There's a lot of judgment that's on its way. And then as it ends... It ends with this amazing glimmer of hope. And so that's what I want to read from you from chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is the ESV version. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you over, or he will exalt over you with loud singing. So if you've done your Advent reading for today, 
you've already seen this passage at home. It's fantastic. I mean, this is one of those that just read it again and again and again. Sit with it, meditate on it, reflect on it. It's so, so good. Um, One of the devotional practices that I often do is that I listen to this, uh, it's it's an app on my phone, it's called Pray As You Go, it's also a website, and they're British, so that's one of the reasons I like to listen to it, is it's just, everything sounds better in British English, right? And so they read scripture, it's mesmerizing, and and it's only 10 minutes long, which is probably another reason why I like it, Uh, and then they ask, they have a few questions for you to reflect on, and I find that that just helps, man, it's just in there, uh, th- that, that passage or those questions are popping up throughout the day. Uh, it's, good. it's good for me. It's good for my soul. And so as I was getting ready for this sermon, I thought that I would kind of cheat. I would look ahead. I'm like, I wonder if they actually treat this passage. And they did. Okay, so I'm just going to give you verbatim. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I was like listening to this. And it's today. So if you go to, you know, Praise You Go and you listen to it, you'll hear the same thing I did last week. And they pointed out how it begins. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And then they said this. They said, here's an invitation to sing today, to shout out loud, to rejoice. Can I let myself go and do just that? In my imagination, in my heart, or physically. And where in the world around me do I see people letting go and rejoicing? Perhaps I could learn from them, or even join in. And so I sat in my truck, it's like Wednesday, just chewing on those words. Sing, shout out, rejoice. Exalt was one of those words. When's the last time I've exalted? That's like the sense of triumph. Can I let myself go? Can I do that? And where in the world around me do I see people letting go and rejoicing? So I know the correct answer to that question is supposed to be the church, right? Oh, Jesus is the answer. That's, that's where I see this. But one of the occupational hazards that I have uh, in my line of work, is that I'm always um, on on Sunday morning. And I, I, it's, I know that part of it's just me, like I'm always thinking about what has, happens next, but it's really hard for me to kind of enter into the experience of, of worship, of, of being able to let go, to sing and shout for joy and to rejoice. And uh, I, I've, I've learned over the years that I have to do that kind of outside of Sundays, and you've already, I've kind of hinted at it. One of the safe places or one of the places to do that is in my car. That's like my, my worship zone. So I can, you know, sing off tune. I can say crazy things, amens, whatever. I can get into it in my car. I often do that. I used to be really intentional about taking kind of a day away, like once a month for, for spiritual renewal. I do that every now and then. And there are various points in my life where I've done better at, you know, kind of letting go or, or just entering into that heartfelt worship of God. But as I sat there in my truck this Wednesday, I realized that in the last two years, 
I've probably never done worse. There's done better at points in my life, but I don't think I've ever done worse. And um, this was really made real to me recently. I, I was able to, to go on a retreat. I mentioned this last Sunday, but I joined a, a bunch of pastors in Northern California like two weeks ago. Really life-giving for me. And, you know, it's a group of pastors, so at one point, somebody jumps on the piano, and we're in this little chapel, and we start having this worship service. And so as, as I'm, uh, it, it was actually an Episcopalian chapel, so they have those little kneeling benches. And so I'm kneeling there, and I'm singing, and I realize, like, there are tears flooding down my eyes. And uh, if you talk to my wife, she, she's so annoyed. I cry all the time. Uh, really, that's not true at all, <laughs> ever. And, and it wasn't just like one little, you know, tear, like, oh, man, I must be allergic to something, right? No, I mean, it was like, tears. And you have that thought, like, why am I crying? And right away, it was like, because I never get to do this. And I realized right there, like, how deeply I need to sing and shout and rejoice and exult in God's goodness and God's favor, to worship him in whatever way, whatever aspect that might be. It was glorious. And so moving forward, I've decided rather than, you know, getting caught up in the, and I don't know if you do this, but it's that like self-recrimination, um, like why don't I do that? I should do this more. That instead to choose this, to hear this as an invitation, like you're invited to sing, to shout, to rejoice. I'm going to receive it that way. Maybe you will too. Well, verse 15 begins, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said in Jerusalem, fear me not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. So Zephaniah here is speaking of judgment. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. And this is meant to be a relief. If you were to read the first three chapters of Zephaniah, like I said, you're going to read a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot that God is unhappy with, uh, that his, his people are engaged with, that are doing, they're not doing, and judgment is coming. And like all biblical prophets, Zephaniah is delivering a message to the people of his day. This is how biblical prophecy works. He's speaking to the generation that he's sent to. And so often there's these layers that are in that, but, but always the judgment is pointed at, not some far, far off Nostradamus-like, you know, end times thing. It's pointed to the generation. This group of people is supposed to hear it. And there are elements that are unfulfilled and lie in the future. And so that's how biblical prophecy works works. God wasn't a fan of all the corruption, all the wickedness, all the idolatry that was being experienced in Israel that day. So wickedness, idolatry, corruption, those are kind of old-fashioned words. Let me put those in more modern terms. Corruption, that one's easy. Seems like it, you know, today, now, and forever, right? There's always corruption. Wickedness, 
That's why it sounds like a Charles Dixon or a Dickens novel, right? Well, it's wick wickedness. Um, the, best that, the best that I can do to describe that is it's like wickedness is what happens when, when self-absorbed people just do what they want when they want to whoever they want to. And so it's this like society-wide thing where just selfishness prevails. Starting to hit home, close to home, right? Idolatry. We think of idolatry as this little statue or figurine that you know, we're going to worship and bow down to. But what idolatry is, is it's, it's like whatever holds your allegiance, whatever is the ultimate thing that you've given your allegiance to in your life. So in today's terms, we call those retirement accounts, uh, we, sometimes we call those kids, um, kids sports. We, uh, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things, I, iPhones. I mean, what, idolatry is you've put something in the place of God. And if you start to think in those terms, you start to go, oh yeah, I do that. And so, you know, Zephaniah's, speaking to the people of his day, but there are things that hit home for us as well. And uh, whenever we talk about the day of the Lord, this is a biblical term, and it means judgment, all right? And not just these like specific moments in Israel's history, but there's final judgment that's coming from God. And this is something that we never like to talk about because it gets weird in a hurry also known as Judgment Day. And so we bring this Hollywood idea of what Judgment Day is or what it will be whenever we read Scripture, whenever we think about it. And it's not that I think it's going to be an enjoyable experience, uh, which is one reason why I've asked Jesus to speak on my behalf. But the truth is that God gives each and every individual so much dignity, so much respect, that he allows us to choose and the question on judgment day, the final judgment, is a simple one. Are you with God or are you not with God? With God or not with God? And there's no do-over once we're dead. So whenever you talk about judgment day or judgment, God's judgment, there's a little urgency to it. But overall, we're going to be kind of excited for that day. Who wouldn't be excited for God to come and expose all the corruption in the world? Who wouldn't be excited for God to expose all the wrongs that have been unseen or, or the, the things, the horrific things that happen day in and day out that people aren't held accountable for? That's judgment day. God sees that. And he says, you know, someday we're coming back and we're going to settle all these accounts. And I think that whenever we talk about it, we have this little uncomfortable feeling because that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work in us. You know, as, as, as you think about it and you go, you're feeling discomfort over something that you've done or something that you've left undone, something you said or a relationship that you torched. That's not something just to forget. That's God in your life saying, hey, pay attention to that. Maybe you should confess it. Maybe you should talk to that person and ask forgiveness. Maybe you should start to rebuild uh, trust in that relationship. Whatever it might be, that's the Holy Spirit at work on us 
in us. And so whenever we find ourselves complaining about <clears throat> how broken and messed up our world is, you know, how could God just stand by and watch all this stuff happen if there is even a God? You know, if you catch yourself thinking that, stop and first own your own role in them. Humble yourself before God. Ask for his mercy. This is what the prophet Zephaniah is trying to get his people to do, to just pause and notice God at work in their life. We all know the world's a broken place. It's been that way for a long time. But as followers of Christ, we also believe that God sees it and even has a plan for it. So when, when is this, when is, how is God going to fix it all? That's the point where Advent and Zephaniah kind of collide. Because the question isn't what, when, or how God's going to fix it. It's who. Who's going to fix it? And 2,600 years ago in Israel, this little prophet named Zephaniah says this, verse 17. He's like, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The Lord your God is in your midst. Whenever you see Lord in all caps in your Bible, that's the sacred personal name of God. It's Yahweh. Yahweh is in your midst. How is that possible? Well, Zephaniah is talking about the Messiah, a mighty one who's going to come to save his people, all people. And then he says, he will sing over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. You see the reversal here? He will exalt over you with loud singing. That's God in our midst. That's how he feels about us. He's not some way far away up in heaven in the universe, the metaverse, wherever he may be. No, he's right here in our midst. And one of my favorite prophetic names of Jesus is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Or literally, if you were to go from Hebrew into English, it's with us God. Jesus is the with us God. He's here in our midst, and he's mighty to save. You know, this is what God's people have longed for, have waited for, have hoped for in God's deliverance for generation after generation after generation after generation. God, where are you? We're still asking it today, and you're like, God, do you hear us? Yes, God hears us. He's the mighty one who hears you and me, and he asks us what needs saving in your life or who needs saving. You know, when we think about that, what needs saving? Who needs saving? Do I need saving? We're starting to get close to kind of the meat of biblical hope. And biblical hope for followers of Jesus is that we believe we trust, we have faith that God appeared in the flesh 2,000 years ago. His name was Jesus. It was the moment that God sang over all humanity. It was the moment that he rejoiced over you and me. It was the moment that he quieted us in his love. 
God wants to save you, and all you have to do is receive him to welcome the Holy Spirit into your life, to take Jesus and clear out that shelf where you had something else that was holding your allegiance and put Jesus there instead, let him lead your life. Advent is this season of hope. It speaks of the healing and restoration that God wants to do in our lives. And this last week, I, I finished, uh, you're going to laugh at this, <clears throat> um, I finished the first season of Ted Lasso. And I know I'm like the last person in the United States to, to actually see the show, you know, since last Christmas. You go to see Ted Lasso, you have to, I know, I, I'm busy, okay? I mean, it's great, great show. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but the gist of it is, an American football coach becomes the coach of an English soccer team. That's just funny right there, isn't it? Football, football coach, coaching football, but they're two different things. And so uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I, there's this phrase that's said in like the final episode because their soccer team's season is on the line. It's make it or break it. And uh, over and over again, they keep saying, it's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you, which I think is British for don't get your hopes up, right? Things don't look good here. It's the hope that kills you. And of course, you know, Coach Lasso is, you know, trying to get everybody to hope and to believe that something's good is going to happen. And the reason I don't watch TV shows is because it's hard for me not to talk through them, okay? See, none of my family wants to watch with me. And I can't just shut the critical part off like, well, yeah, but, you know, I know it's art. Okay, but they're saying things through it. That, I, cu I, cu I couldn't stand it. You can't hope and hope. You can't believe in belief. What does that mean? Your hope is only as good as what or who you hope in. It's only as good as who you put your hope in. And we're all human beings grown-up adults, God actually lets you make that choice. If I was God, I wouldn't do that. I would just, everybody believes in me, done. God gives all human beings that choice. And so in Advent, this is the time of year that we remind ourselves of the choice that we've made. We've decided to put our hope in Jesus, because we believe he's the with us God. We believe that he's the, the mighty one who can save us, restore us, heal us, be with us. And he came once 2,000 years ago, and he's coming back again. This is the time of year that we just bask in that hope. And in that good news, amen?